As a parent or mentor, you have the awesome opportunity to help a young person build a future. So if the future they want is in the military, take the time to learn more at todaysmilitary.com because their success tomorrow begins with your support today. Hello and welcome to the Big Bark podcast, bringing you the latest news from the canine world. Each week we talk to different professionals working in the canine industry across Ireland, from pet shop owners to groomers, behavior specialists and vets. We will be discussing hot topics with our puppy panel, reviewing the best products, food and treats, the best places to take your dog on a day out and the most dog-friendly venues in Ireland. We'll also be chatting with dog owners to find out more about the bonds that make a dog man's best friend. Your host for this podcast is Dara Burke, a dog lover with a passion for canine psychology and behaviour. Dara's own dogs, Bruno and Millie, will also join in from time to time and will be sure to offer their own big bark along the way. Time to bring on your host and start the show. Hello and a huge welcome to episode one of the Big Bear, a brand new and soon to be best doggy podcast brought to you by BarkinMad.ie and coming to you from the heart of the Midwest of Ireland. My name is Dara Burke and I'm your host. And together with my canine co-hosts, our puppy panel and our special guests, we'll be focusing in on different topics from the canine world each week. So first of all, let me take a moment and introduce my two beautiful canine co-hosts. To my left is my wonderful seven-year-old, Golden Labrador Millie, a complete and utter rogue with a heart of gold who loves nothing more than a good old cuddle and her favourite thing to do is go for nice long walks and get rubs. We've had Millie now with us for three years, even though she's seven and we've had her for three years, and I really can't imagine life without her. On my right is Bruno, my absolutely really cool three and a half year old Bloodhound Cross Labrador. And now this amazing mix is known as a Bloodhound. Bruno came to us three years ago also. And right after I lost my own dog of seven years at the time, Coco. Now in that time, in that three years, he's been with me, as has Millie, through all the ups and downs. Now Bruno is a complete brash but he's the kindest and most caring dog going. He's absolutely mahusive. But he still thinks he's a small little puppy who can sit right on top of my lap. And you know, he doesn't actually realise that he's smothering me. And I don't think he really cares because he's getting attention. Together, these two dogs are my best friends in the world. As the series progresses, I'll give you a bit more insight into what Bruno and Millie get up to, what they mean to me, and how they've influenced my life for the better. So, what exactly are we going to be discussing in this podcast? Well, each week, we're going to focus on a couple of different topics. We'll be reviewing different products for your dogs. We'll be meeting canine professionals and business owners. And of course, we'll be meeting dog owners and their dogs to chat over a cup of coffee or a pint or whatever they fancy about what it is that makes a dog man's best friend. Now, 
I am confident this, this is going to be a very exciting podcast each week. So before we go any further, be sure that you hit that subscribe button. That one right there. Hit that subscribe button right now. Okay, you've done that. Great. So what's happening this week then? Well, later on the show, we're going to talk about the need for a dog park in Limerick. As I mentioned, we're based in the Midwest of Ireland. Limerick is the main city, I suppose the capital city of the Midwest is how you'd put it. And in a city of over 100,000 people, we don't have a pop-up dog park. So we don't have a facility there just for dogs. At least not a publicly provided facility anywhere. At some point in time, as the show goes forward, I will try to be meeting uh, one or two of the people that provide the indoor doggy fun parks, the private fun park that we actually have within the city, but we don't have a publicly provided dog park. So we're also going to be chatting about the public consultation for the review of the Control of Dogs Act. Now, if you're not aware, the Control of Dogs Act is effectively what legislates how well we control our dogs. It governs the restricted breeds list in Ireland and determines what restrictions are required if your dog is on this so-called list. We'll touch heavily on this and on the dog pack with our guest later on the show, Tony McKenna. Tony is from the Barking Baker and as the owner of the Barking Baker he fits right into these two topics because Tony is also a dog trainer. So we'll be touching on those two topics with Tony. And I'm really looking forward to sharing that segment with you. We'll also be chatting to Tony regarding our first topic. And that topic is related to raw and natural feeding. So we'll be chatting to Tony about how beneficial the treats he makes out for our dogs, how to use completely raw natural ingredients, and we'll talk to him a bit about his journey from dog trainer to natural treat maker and what was involved in that journey. Now, I'll be sharing a bit of my own personal experience regarding how canine nutrition is so important. So keeping with our first topic, I want to introduce our first guest right now without further delay. So our first guest on the show today is Sarah Hannon. And Sarah is the owner of Revo Healthy Petri up in County Cavan. It's an amazing company that provides wonderful beef and chicken jerky, which Bruno and Millie go absolutely, utterly crazy for. And I'm just going to demonstrate this right here. Millie has kind of nodded off right now, but I just want Millie to come over. Come here, man. So, Millie to come over, and I'm going to put the microphone up so that you can hear exactly how crunchy these wonderful treats are. So, when Millie takes a bite of this, you're going to hear now. Now, doesn't that sound yummy? And Millie definitely agrees that it's an absolutely yummy treat. So, as I said, well, for delay, I'd like to introduce Sarah. Now, Sarah has a wonderful story. It's a story of hard work, determination, and to be honest, it shows that people like Sarah, her business, 
and the products that Sarah sells, these are the backbone of the Irish economy. Small, medium enterprises who provide employment locally, who give back locally and give back to charities as well. Sarah does wonderful work with a lot of different charities and she's actually the sponsor of a number of our shows which will come after this one and to be honest I'm just going to let Sarah tell her story here and I'm going to chat to you guys in a little bit Okay, so uh, it, it starts out with a little bit of a sad story which is that uh, we had a, a, a lovely family pet called Mr. Fizz, and uh, Mr. Fizz was uh, 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 basically the furry heartbeat of our home, and he became very ill. Uh, he ended up with diabetes and heart issues, and, and unfortunately had to be put to sleep. And um, talking to my vet, uh, she was saying that really his diet was very processed. She was quite a raw uh, feeding advocate, and she said his diet was far too processed, um, and that contributed to all of his health conditions. And we kind of looked into this a little bit more, um, and I couldn't see any treats that I really wanted to feed my dog, so I thought, I know, I'll, I'll make some myself. And I started... Uh, with uh, one small dehydrator, uh, which was in my conservatory, and um, was drying little pieces of of, uh, of heart and liver and kidney, and and soon the word got out, and people kind of said, "Well, could you make me some treats for my dog?" Uh, and um, and it, and it's gone from there, um, and we now have. Uh, three dogs of our own uh, who are all fed on our treats and they are all our, uh, what would you say, our taste testers for, for all new products coming to market. That's brilliant. That's really good. And originally, Sarah, you started off, I remember uh, buying the treats from you when you first started off, and you originally started off as uh, my canine cakery, am I correct? I did, yes. A slightly different business altogether. Um so when I looked into uh, the natural treats market, I, I thought, well, why don't I start with baked goods and just make biscuits that are, are free of additives and, and things like that. Um, but I, I met a, a guy who became a, a, quite a strong mentor for me, who is very big in the, the raw feeding world, Dr. Connor Brady. And he basically turned around to me and he said, Sarah, you know what, um, dogs don't need grain. What they need is meat. And you need to ditch the meat, oh, ditch the grain, sorry, and go with meat treats. And that was really uh, the, the, the pivoting point for me. But not only that, Dara, I, I, I was hopeless. I mean, I've seen some of those beautiful uh, cakes that are made for dogs, and they now do doggy donuts and doggy cupcakes and goodness knows what else. And and the craft and the the artistry that goes into some of those is unreal. And unfortunately, I have the artistic ability of a brick, so uh, it wasn't ever going to work for me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> very fair. And you already started off with, was it just uh, beef liver jerky, or did you just start off with one or two flavors? Or? Yeah, so so <laughs> it's it's been 
it's been a case of you just try all different cuts of meat. Um, we started with uh, with beef liver, um, and um, we perfected that. And then we moved on to other organs. So we moved on to the heart and and the kidneys. And then we were kind of going, okay, well, we've done beef now. Uh, what else can we do? And we looked for chicken, and so we brought on board the chicken hearts, which are which are probably our biggest seller. Uh, and then we uh, we started looking at at other animal parts. So you know we we do things like the ears and the hooves and uh, and the paddywhack and and the pizzles and and all of those sorts of things. But I suppose it's it's we we what we have to do is we have to make sure that we perfect the product. We have a market for that product, and then we 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 move it out. So. You know, for the, the, for a long time, we only did the, the five treats, um, and the, the chew range that we've just brought on board has only been live now for about the last six months. And it's a slow process bringing anything new to the market, as I now know, because you have to have things shelf life tested. Uh, everything has to be tested as well for, uh, for its microbiology uh, and its nutritional values. So, so there's a lot of work in bringing to the market a, a, um, a, a new product. Um, you know, when you're starting out, you, you just kind of fire things into the dehydrator to see what works. Sure, yeah. And just, um, just go back on that there. Like, you started off doing this in your own kitchen. And you've grown now to a stage where you have your own factory. Did you ever yeah. think back when you were uh, using your small dehydrator in your conservatory, did you ever think that you would actually, that it would grow that far, that you would have your own factory? Or <laughs> do you still find that a bit surreal or do you wake up? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been an amazing journey. And um, I think when you start off, I think the whole the whole idea for me was that, it was about making a great treat, which, you know, hopefully a few people would, would buy and it would, you know, pay for my, uh, my love of coffee and, uh, and, and that would be about it. And then, then you kind of go, you know what, I might get a little bit more ambitious and, um, and start uh, seeing if, if more shops will take it. Um, and then it becomes, it, it comes to a point where, you, you you have to you have to start scaling up and um, and for me the, the the biggest pushes in me scaling up to my factory have been the Department of Agriculture because they uh, they follow obviously we, we follow all the legislation to make sure that we produce safe treats um, but you know in in terms of the safety and the way that we are policed, um, I think Ireland is ahead of, of, of Europe because, you know, I get inspected very regularly. They look at all of my laboratory testing and, and all, of the, all of those sorts of things, or all of the stuff that I have to comply with. And it doesn't make sense for the small producer to be doing that. The only way that you can really make it work is by is by going into a factory and and that's what we've had to do yeah i hear you uh definitely a lot of regulation around the um around the food industry in ireland that's for sure and yeah that's not actually a bad thing in a way because of why you why you say it 
can't be too much for the small producer. At least consumers then know as well that they're getting a really good quality treat on the market, so they know that everything is above board. They know that like the treats are top notch as well. Which Bruno and Millie here, who are here next week, can actually tell us that they were so happy to get their box of treats yesterday. <laughs> I just literally a full bag of them gone already, so <laughs> they they be the great headsets here for us. Uh, I, I mean, look, it, it, to me, uh, the, the Department of Agriculture should be seen as our friend because what they make us do, they do exactly that. They make us do it right, and yeah. there is no cutting of corners. So, you know, we we have to have our meat from regulated sources. I can't just go to the butcher and pick up meat. I have to go to one of the big processors, and they supply me with a whole raft of paperwork to say that this meat is is of a, of the right standard. And when the Department of Agriculture come in, what they look for is they look for everything to be traceable one step back and one step forward. So what that means is that I can trace a piece of meat back to the farm, uh, and, uh, and I can, when that goes out to a shop, the shop can... If you have bills and debt piling up, a personal loan through NetCredit can provide funding up to $10,000 to help you get back on track if eligible. Visit netcredit.com today. All NetCredit loans and lines of credit are offered by a member of the NetCredit family of companies or one of our lending partners. Visit netcredit.com slash partners for more information. For over a decade, the Merrill Moab has been the best-selling choice of hikers, made famous for its out-of-the-box comfort, durability, and all-purpose versatility. We love to be outside with our friends, rain or shine. Moab is a mindset, so let's keep going and step further. It's time to Moab on. Also have that, that safety of knowledge that I know what batches of product they've got. If there's ever any issue, they can come back to me and we can do safe recalls. And it's all about safety. Um, you know, and you can either run away from that or you can, you can go, that's a good thing. And I think it's a good thing. Yeah, and it certainly sounds like you've embraced that, which is, it's really good to hear. Um, now, given how much you've grown, uh, there is there's a topic I want to touch up with uh, here, and that is the, the um, everything that's happened. With, I suppose that's happened with Aldi lately, being picked from being picked up by Aldi to I suppose the recent unfortunate uh, the just being pulled there in the last week or so. But do you want do you want to tell me like first ask like how? Yeah. How are so, you picked up by a, a store like like Ali, who have how many hundreds of shops around the country? Yeah, I mean, uh, Aldi, I, I, um, I am still in awe of Aldi because Aldi has been one of our biggest supporters. Um, I know that probably sounds a bit funny to say that, given given that we didn't end up supplying them in the end, but. Let me just explain to you uh, about the, the Aldi uh, relationship, and, and, and that will give you an indication as to why this is an amazing company to do business with. So, uh, number one, uh, how did I get into Aldi? Well, I, I sent them a cheeky email, frankly, and, uh, and they said, you know what, we would be interested. And uh, this was when I was working in my porter cabin, uh, and I went, okay, that's fantastic. Um, when do you want me to, to supply you? And uh, they said, well, as soon as possible. Here's an order. Uh, and I went, well, actually, I don't really have the facilities to do that at the moment. So 
they said, okay, that's fine. We'll give you another order in, in six months' time when you will be ready. And, and, and I had hoped to be ready because we had taken the lease on the factory. Uh, what I didn't realize was that um, whilst we had power, as in electrical power, we didn't have the right power to run our oven, which was three-phase power, and it's, and it's industrial power, basically. Uh, and trying to get that into the factory was a bit of a nightmare, um, and, and basically took from October until February to get that actually into the factory. So it took far too long. Um, and in the meantime, you know, there's, there's, there's little conversations happening with Aldi, and they're going, look, it's okay, don't worry, come back to us when you think you can supply us. And once we have the, the, uh, the, the electricity connected, um, we went, we're ready. And um, they went, great, so you can be in the stores in July. And I went, yeah, absolutely, of course I can. Now, the, the, the oven that we have is obviously a big oven and it's something that we uh, we have have not really used very much so maybe this is where I fell down a bit uh, we should have been testing it for months before we actually committed to such a big order so you know these are the these are the learnings of a small business trying to do growth um, and we worked both myself and, and my colleague Jer, who works with me. Um, we worked really, really hard. We were trying to put through the the product um, through the oven, and uh, it just wasn't working. It would break down. It would. Um, it, oh my God! It 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 didn't matter. It seemed to matter what we did. It wasn't playing ball with us and. Uh, the, we managed to get one pallet out to Mitchellstown, um, and that was great. And we were working on the second pallet. Uh, and the day that we were due to ship our second pallet, um, we had another 300 boxes to do, uh, and it went on fire. <laughs> I can laugh about it now. I was distraught at the time. And um, it, it just it went on fire, and it didn't matter what we did. I mean, not to the point where it burned down the factory, but to the point where the thing is just, it's not, it's not usable. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I phoned Aldi, and I, I explained. And, and initially, they were kind of going, okay, what can you send us? What can you give us? And when I told them, okay, well, on the second pallet, we're probably going to only meet half of the order, they just had to make a very hard commercial decision. And they just said, look, best will in the world, it's just not enough product for all of our stores. And it doesn't make sense for us to put in, you know, half pallets into, into our warehouse and all the rest of it. So... Yes, it was a very sad decision, a very sad, sad decision from them to, to pull the plug on us. But I completely understand. They're in business to make money. Um, and, and they had cut me so many different chances. It's unbelievable. Now, I've had email contact with them, and, and it's still very warm. And it's still, you know, look, I really have, they, they wanted to get over our hurdles and to come back to them. So, you know, I don't think we've blown our chances. But um, it was it was not what we wanted to happen, um, and so when I put up that post, uh, I was actually sitting in Birmingham Airport, um, 
I was coming back from a family funeral and I was sitting in Birmingham airport and I thought, oh my God, tomorrow is Thursday and the products are supposed to be on the shelf in Aldi and they are not going to be on the shelf in Aldi. I need to put something up just to say why. And and I was I was writing I was writing it out and and kind of going you know what people are just going to roast me, absolutely roast me on this and and rightly so and um, I sent it uh, out into the out into the social media land and I started getting responses and I was blown away because. Rather than people roasting me on my fate, what I saw as a as a failure, they were rallying round me and going, "We're really sorry. We really wanted these products in Aldi. Oh my goodness, I'll buy a box." And all of a sudden, that post that I did reached over a hundred and fifty thousand people without me paying for it to go uh, big. Uh, it reached 150,000 people and it had over 300 and something shares. And I'm still getting people coming in going, oh, I'm really sorry about your oven and can I, can I buy a, a box? Um, and I am genuinely in, in awe of the generosity of the general public. And, you know, from that we've, we've also got onto the shelves now of pet stops. They've come back to us and they've said, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stop you. Uh, lots of little groomers have come in and gone, look, we'll stop you as well, which is fabulous. Um, and there's a couple of really big things happening as well behind the scenes, which I can't say anything about at the moment. But, you know, just some amazing things have come out of that from, from reaching out, just reaching out and saying, I'm really sorry and I'm devastated. Um, so, you know, it's not, it, when I wrote that, I thought it was the end. It was the, you know, I was just going to come home and, and, and cry for, for months and be very upset. And actually, it's an incredibly positive story and, and one that, that should be shouted from the rooftops, that the generosity of people is incredible, absolutely incredible. And it's so good to see that support. It's so yes. good to see people rallying around you. And it's so good that you still, that you still have that relationship there, Ali, that they haven't just said to you to, um, excuse my friendship, but they haven't said to you to piss off. They haven't told you, no, we're done with you. They've, they're actually still in contact, which means, by the sound of it, they, they still want you in. So hopefully you'll get to that stage. Hopefully you'll get to the stage where you're uh, on the shelves in Ali, on the shelves in other big stores as well, which will be great to see. Um, I suppose, like, for me, it's, it's just brilliant traits. Uh, the two dogs, they love them. My last dog, who you would remember, Coco, absolutely adored them. I often have videos of her when I bought them off you, and she's jumping up and down, and the minute she see them, she was so happy to get the treats. Yeah. And I, I still even remember the time that she wasn't well, and you even sent her down a bag of treats and a little, uh, one of your homemade little heart treats to say, get well soon, Coco. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I remember Coco very, very well. So, <laughs> and you know, Sarah, it's it's great to see that, and it's great to see companies like yourself growing to this level. Because one of the big things that I'm about would be buy or shop local, and yeah. it's always been the way I've been, and it just shows nowadays as well 
how much support is there for Irish businesses, which is really needed in, in this day and age. It is. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, we've got the big thread of Brexit round the corner and it's, it's needed even more because we don't know what's going to happen with that and, and how that will affect us going forward. And, um, you know, we, I mean, obviously we just have to keep being positive and, and pushing our products. Um, and, uh, you know, but it, it does need a mind shift in, in people to kind of go, you know what, I'm not going to go with the mass-produced stuff. I'm going to actually look for high-quality um, Irish produce. And, you know, we do the best meat in the world, for goodness sake. We really do. And, you know, those, those, um, those products are – I'm very proud of them. And, um, you know, to, to make a product which absolutely has no additives, no preservatives, no derivatives, nothing, all that happens is that when that comes in to our factory, it goes into the oven. It comes out of the oven when it's done, and it is, it is bagged and packed and, and sent off somewhere. Um, you know, you can't get more natural than that. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think we need to, we do need to bang the drum a little bit about all the other little Irish, you know, manufacturers and, and companies out there that are, that are really trying to, to blaze a trail in this. Yes, I, yeah, completely agree with you there. And even just what you're saying there, like, about the ingredients being 100% meat, when the, when the box of treats arrived yesterday, and myself and Jen were looking at them, she was admiring them because she had never actually seen them before. And mm. she looks at the ingredients on the back and she does chicken. And her first reaction straight away was, what not to I was like, it's literally 100% chicken. And that's the thing, so many people are expecting to see all this preservatives, these additives on any of these treats. But in your case, it is literally 100% meat, which I love about that. And I do love feeding us to giving those treats to the two dogs here. Yeah. Yeah, at least you know that actually, and the other great thing about them is that, you know, there are, it is one meat type per pack. So, you know, if you, if you, typically if you look in a lot of the commercially made products, um, you see animal derivatives, and that's a mixture, basically, a mishmash of, of meats and, uh, of animal proteins and, and all the rest of it. Now, that could be great for, for on one batch, uh, for, for a, a, a load of food that is made. Um, but on another batch, it could be a, a, a different mix of animal derivatives, which causes all sorts of issues and difficulties. Um, and, you know, at least you know with ours, if your dog is sensitive to beef, okay, well, you don't have to give them beef. You can give them, you can give them chicken and, uh, you know, and vice versa. So, you know, there, there is, there, there is a, I know it's only beef and chicken, <laughs> but, but generally speaking, you know, you, you'll find something in that range that, that will suit. Um, and, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, you never know, we might bring something a little bit different again to, to the, to the market. But I don't know whether we do any exotic animals here in Ireland that we can, uh, we can harvest. I think that's the only problem. I, I don't believe we do. Uh, we're not that excited to get here anyway. With the temperature rising, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> well, look, uh, it's been actually before I leave you off, that's probably the last question I'm going to ask you. How big you 
do you see this going? Like, where do you, you mentioned pet stop, you mentioned how many other stores are looking at uh, getting you in. Where do you want to see this going and where do you see it going? Um, <laughs> I, I really want to uh, grow and I, I really want to uh, go pan-European. We, we kind of, we've, we've dabbled a little bit in, in certain countries. Uh, we've sent product into, you know, small, uh, smaller pet shops. So we've done, we've done Switzerland, we've done a bit in Germany, we've done a bit in France. Um, as we get, as we sort of uh, establish ourselves more, obviously we'll be able to look into doing those things a lot more. Um, I definitely, you know, we do an awful lot in the UK. Uh, I don't ever see the UK going away as a market for us because, you know, Ireland and the UK are just too linked together. Um, and uh, I think our products sit well in in, uh, in store over there. Um, and we already have quite a good network uh, in the UK. Um, I definitely, as I say, I definitely see Europe. I don't know whether I see outside of that. Um, maybe, maybe we need to focus on that, that for the next five years, and then we see where we go from there after that. But um, I'm, I'm passionate, Dara, about the idea of adding jobs. We live in a, uh, a, on, on the border counties, so obviously based in Cavan, and um, job opportunities are, are hard to come by for certain sectors of, of the population. I would love to offer uh, maybe apprenticeships to people. I would love to see um, an opportunity to take on um, people with learning difficulties because some of our jobs could, could fit very well with, with people that, that have learning difficulties. Um, so, you know, um, and return us to work. Oh, oh look, I mean, you know, I, I'm passionate about being able to give opportunity, and and that is something that I really want to be able to do over the next year. Um, the, the 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 knock with the Aldi order has, has slightly put me back a couple of months, but um, we we move forward with our plans nevertheless, and um, we hope that by uh, November we will have uh, an employment total in here of five. Uh, and then we'll be adding to that, obviously, as we go forward. All right, and thanks very much, Sarah. So the whole way through that, I had Millie right here next to me, looking at me, and Jesus, she almost pushed me out the couch. <laughs> so, okay, that should really be... If you have bills and debt piling up, a personal loan through NetCredit can provide funding up to $10,000 to help you get back on track if eligible. Visit netcredit.com today. All NetCredit loans and lines of credit are offered by a member of the NetCredit family of companies or one of our lending partners. Visit netcredit.com slash partners for more information. There's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire the S-curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango. Because on this highway, the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark. In the bloopers, but I'm going to leave it on. Uh, so I'm really looking at me here. As I say, give me more, 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 more. These dogs are in love with these treats. And you know, I really can't blame them. When I open a bag of these treats, either the chicken or the or the beef, 
when I open the bag of them, I just want to have one myself because they smell so beautiful. But if I had one, the dirty looks I would get would say enough and I wouldn't be in the good books with these two beautiful doggies. But, you know, I picked up a box of 10 bags of these treats from Sarah a couple of days ago. And honestly, I was one of the people when I saw Sarah's post go up on Facebook. I said, yes, I'll support you. I want a box of treats. And like myself, so many others gathered around her. So many people supported her. And it's just, it's wonderful to see that. And it was wonderful to hear Sarah's story. And I really hope to have her on again in a few months. So keep in with treats. I got to have a look at some wonderful grain-based treats made by Tony McKenna, who is the owner of the Barking Baker. Now, the Barking Baker operates out of the milk market in Limerick every Saturday. The milk market itself is a wonderful, amazing venue. It's magical on a Saturday morning. Actually, particularly coming up to Christmas, it's an amazing venue to go to visit. So, Millie is getting tired of me doing all this podcasting stuff and it keeps him my screen. So, I'm one who just loves natural treats for my dogs. And, as you can probably tell here, Millie wants more treats, so Millie loves them too. So, in a while, I'm going to chat a bit about my own experience regarding canine nutrition. But first of all, I want to introduce you to Tony. I want to hear a bit about his journey and I want you to all experience what it's like for Tony to have gone on the journey that he's on. And while you're listening to that, I'm going to go away and hopefully make a cup of coffee and I'll let you guys listen to this next clip. And if I ever get to make that cup of coffee, it'll be great because the last clip I was just loving Millie the whole way through it. Well, the Bark and Baker, the, the, the history of the, the the road to get us to the Bark and Baker is multi-checkered, but uh, I suppose to talk about the business itself very briefly, we are a business entirely dedicated to the production of freshly baked organic dog treats. Uh, so I, I'm an obedience trainer, so that's the background I'm coming from. So we're always looking for the highest value rewards for the dog. So we're not just trying to make a little bit of money out of this, we're trying to come from it as, from a, as ethical a standard point as we possibly can so we don't use any salt sugars preservatives things like that it's entirely fresh and yeah just trying to provide the best value for money provide a little bit of dog related education as well from a behavior point of view and hopefully convince people that the treats we're offering work for the reasons we say they work if that makes sense my own specific background is in performance okay which is what took me to i suppose the provision of a training class my background in acting seems to be a help to that because there's an element of performance and engagement and entertainment with that as well. We would always say in training, if you're having fun, your dog is having fun. So it's up to me as a trainer to make sure that the client is first relaxed, calm and having fun so that the dog can respond in kind. Um, So I suppose my original 
introduction into the whole world of dogs. I would have had dogs as a kid growing up the same as everybody had, but would have treated them in a very Irish way, I suppose, if that's not been too offensive to the population of the country. But uh, yeah, all the wrong things, the wrong types of food, the wrong kind of instruction for the dog, doing the wrong things, rubbing the pee in the nose and all that kind of stuff that just doesn't work that we've all found out since. So uh, yeah, as an, I spent almost 20 years working as an actor and while I was touring with the show, uh, I had a really bad car crash. And it was while I was recovering from the car crash that I started doing a bit of volunteering with the DSPCA. And once I started volunteering there, it was only then that I realized that I actually possibly have a, a maybe not a gift, but a small bit more affinity with dogs than I previously realized I had. So once after volunteering at the DSPCA for a couple of years, I went on to complete my obedience training internship with the King of Paws Academy, uh, which is run by Alex Petrelli. Uh, they'd be affiliated to the Academy for Dog Trainers. So again, coming from the strongest possible point we could in terms of that kind of education, I ran a boarding kennels then for five years and went from that as I say because I'm a trainer and I'm always looking for the highest values treats and the greatest motivation for the dog it seemed to make sense to start moving in that direction so we've been doing that since October of last year okay so at the moment we're offering a range of five treats we're using entirely human grade organic produce uh, so our first product was uh, the doggy biscotti so we have three types of biscotti. One of them is made with an organic loin of beef that's, uh, that's roasted in some coconut oil. To that, we've added some cheddar cheese, some turmeric, some porridge oats. So again, you know, the quality that we're, that we're introducing is always of the highest possible quality that we can locate. Then we have two smaller biscotti with cranberry, carob powder, a mixed seed for the omega oil hiss uh, that we provide a very, very high value liver treats which in, tr in obedience training I have found gets the best response. Again, you know, the, the health benefits are liver in terms of iron, vitamin B, copper that dogs actually need and a lot of people don't realize it's, it's quite important in the diet. Um, so again, that one, that one, it was our, our big Scotty with the loin of beef and our liver hounds would at the moment be our best seller. And then we make, uh, we make up what we call the doggy bag. We've got the full Irish bark fest. So I suppose a lot of it is about working with a play on words along with, so again, we're trying to introduce as much of a sense of fun as we possibly can. Because as we always say, if your dog's having fun, or if you're having fun, your dog's having fun. Damn right, if I'm having fun, my dog is having fun, Tony. That is definitely for sure. I look at these two beautiful dogs next to me. They will have fun if I'm having fun with them, which is true for any dog owner. I think by now, uh, Millie has kind of worn herself out and Bruno is long knocked out at this stage. He tends to conk out most evenings until I use the magic word. Uh, I'm not going to say, I'm going to spell it W-A-L-K-I-E-S because I actually be afraid that Millie can spell it too. I'm fairly sure that she can. Once I use that word, it's like a magic wake-up word or something for them. So that is all I have to say on Ruffin for now. And I hope that the two segments that we did with both Tony and Sarah, I hope you enjoyed those. Now it's time to move on to our next topic. That topic, the control of Dogs Act. And okay, so just to give you a quick understanding, the control of Dogs Act, it governs if your dog should be on a leash, should have a muzzle. It dictates this restricted breeds list, which I hate using that word, restricted breed. You'll hear from Tony again on this later on. 
I'm going to give you a little background of what the public consultation that the government have announced. The consultation is called A Review of Measures Relating to the Control of Dogs in Ireland. This is running from the 7th of July to the 6th of September. So it's open to the public. You can submit your feedback on this to the Department of Rural and Community Development. Now, this department is asking a series of questions. Let me very quickly go through those questions. So there is a total of 10 questions in this document. First of all, should the legislation that is currently in place be amended to include notices similar to those that are in place in Scotland and Northern Ireland? So basically they're looking there at different rules that are in place in relation to restricted breeds in Scotland and Northern Ireland. And also looking in question two at our different approaches in other jurisdictions that could hold and shall be considered. Now, the next question is a real picking point for people. And anyone I've spoken to so far on this is completely against the option A. Question three states, should neuvering be A, encouraged more, or be required either for dogs generally, for male dogs, or for specific dogs for which any notices have been issued. And for those listed in the Control of Dogs Regulations 1998 or future amended version of that list. This list that they're referring to is the restricted price list. Let me tell you what's on that list. Most of you notice. You have the American Pitbull Terrier, you have the Bull Mastiff, you have the Doberman Pinscher, you have the English Bull Terrier, you have the German Shepherd, you have Japanese Akiha, the Japanese Tosa, you have the Rohesian Ridgeback, you have a Rottweiler, you have Staffordshire Bull Terriers, also known as Staffies, and you have the Bandog. Many of you listen to this own some of these birds, and you will definitely tell me that your dog is the most gentle dog going and you know what I really do believe you because I think this list is absolute utter crap there is no such thing as a restricted right there can't be and Tony who is a dog trainer for years will also testify to this how can you judge an entire breed. Sure as hell is this not racism for dogs. Like you are judging an entire breed based on one or two incidents. That is only to do with irresponsible owners who cannot and will not train their dog and who put fear into their dogs. Dogs don't want to be violent. They don't want to be vicious. They just want to be loved. Sure, there's some incidents where you do find dogs can attack for what seems to be to people no reason. But there's always a reason. And as Tony will also say, a dog will give you plenty of warnings. So if anyone believes that the likes of Rottweilers, the likes of German Shepherds, should be on a restricted breeds list, should be muzzled, should be completely confined to what some people would see as being confined to a cage. Well, I'm sorry, that's just wrong. There is no such thing as a bad breed. There is only a such thing as a bad owner. Obviously, these dogs have to be on a short, strong lead, led by a person who's capable of controlling them, securely muzzled, whenever they're in a public place. Let's go back to the new in one for a minute. I kind of skipped They're looking 
at one option which is to either neuter all dogs or neuter male dogs or specific breeds you have problems right there with that you are wiping out that breed maybe not straight away but if you are requesting that all dogs within a certain breed be neutered eventually that breed is going to become extinct you put these regulations on people it simply doesn't work these regulations these restricted breeds lists have not worked since they were introduced and you'll hear from Tony like I said in a few minutes why so the main questions that have been asked here should there continue to be a list if so why if there is a list should any breed be added or should any breed be removed if there is a list should the requirements be changed to make them more or less stringent so having requirements related to places other than public places like what in your in your bathroom in your in your house I can't even describe a word for this part. So the measures that are currently in place for these restricted breeds relating to leashing and muzzling in public places apply to all dogs regardless of their breed. What a dumb question. I have two beautiful dogs here. I have a Labrador crossbow bloodhound. I have a golden Labrador. These are the two most gentle dogs I have ever met. They are the friendliest dogs. I would never in my life put a muzzle on either of them. So there is no hope in hell that any legislation could ever come in that would make you push a muzzle on a King Charles, on a Labrador, on a Dash Hound, on any of these gentle breeds. Fair enough, people are afraid of some restricted breeds. I get that. But these beautiful, gentle breeds, they are family pets for years and now all of a sudden just talks that they want to muzzle and leash these breeds constantly when they're in public. I'm sorry, there is no way that that can happen. And I, for one, will be giving my opinion on this and I've already submitted one opinion, which probably hasn't proven too popular with them. But I, for one, will not be standing for that. I've got that clip coming up with Tony. Tony is going to be in full agreement with me here, I guarantee you on this, about restricted breeds. I, there, can't, there can't possibly be such thing as a dangerous breed because all dogs have different experiences. Uh, we would often say in training, it's never the dog's fault. It's the owner's fault. If the dog is doing something, or you will often hear the dog bit for no reason, which is never the case. The dog bit for a reason that the owner didn't spot or didn't realize. But in the lead up to a, a potential bite happening, the dog has, without many, many people known, displayed an entire range of behavior to let everything and everyone in the vicinity know that it's not comfortable with the situation. The last port of call for a dog is the bite. Before that, the dog will have gone through an entire ladder of, of, of information from the position of the ears, the, how taut the musculature is, whether they're licking their lips, yawning. They've actually offered us behavior to say, I'm not comfortable with the situation, I've told you how. So the bite is really the dog saying, I told you, I told you I was uncomfortable. So it's up to owners to be, I think, in this day and age, far, far, far more responsible with how they treat their dogs and understand that the dogs are always looking to us for what the rules in life are. If we don't provide those rules in a caring, loving, compassionate way, then the dog, the potential for the dog to become stressed out by a situation that it doesn't understand is always going to escalate and be exacerbated. So through training and instruction and compassion and care, we can show the dog that the picture it's front in front of it isn't necessarily threatening. And I would, in, in training class, I would always say, 
think where your life is a rolling film your dog's life is more a series of photographs so imagine you've walked around a street corner when you're taking your dog out for a walk you've just walked around a corner in the rolling film of your life but your dog has walked into a new picture that it must instantly scan and ask itself questions is there anything here that I can eat is there anything here that can eat me is there anything here I can mate with that wants to mate with me what's been here they're always looking because it is far more recently that dogs were preyed upon by other animals so they are still to some degree hardwired to think there might be something around the next corner that could do me some serious damage so we can show the dog through positive reinforcement and consistent positive reinforcement that the next corner doesn't entail any danger it's about the dog walking around the next corner going i wonder what's here rather than oh my god i wonder what's here and it's up to us to provide that instruction but this notion that there are restricted or dangerous breeds is an unprovable myth absolutely unprovable. people look at the dog and they judge the dog based on how the dog looks and people get uncomfortable with the likes of maybe pit bulls and things like that which have a ridiculously bad bad press or we'll take a rottweiler your rottweiler is the most gentle goofy brilliant playful dog you could ever come across but because they have been mishandled and used maybe inappropriately they've gotten a bad name it should be the people who treated those dogs like that have the bad name and not the dog so we can take any dog and show it the pictures we want ir- irrespective of breed and show it the necessary pictures it needs to be comfortable with in order to survive in the world and react the way we want it to so it's just about consistency providing the right instruction providing the right instruction with compassion and then any dog irrespective of what what its breed is has the ability to be an absolute wonder one of my dogs at home is a retriever samoyed cross he's got about 400 pounds of pressure in his jaw he can do any amount of damage that he cares to it's just that he's well trained and he doesn't care to so when he sees new things he gets excited about it because in the earlier part of his life i showed him as many pictures of life i took him to as many places i took him in heavy traffic i took him in down country lanes i introduced him to children men on bikes men in hats women in dresses to the dog they're all different things so if we can allow the dog in the earlier in that critical learning phase of its life to experience as much of the world in as many different facets as it possibly can then it will only approach everything subsequent with joy i'm fairly sure that those two dogs were badly treated not shown what the rules were maybe got stressed out about people coming close to them maybe got lost and didn't know where they were i'm not sure the details of the case so i couldn't speak to the case specifically but there isn't any reason for a dog to attack unless the dog hasn't been shown what the necessary rules are especially around people uh, so yeah to, to, to say that now they should all of those type of dogs to be on the restricted breed list for a start it makes no sense it's unpoliceable it's unworkable so the, the list doesn't make sense it's about time that people who are making these rules and laws maybe brought themselves up to speed with where the leading lights in canine behavioral science are at the moment and maybe follow that instruction and any leading light you take the likes of we'll say for example Jean Donaldson in San Francisco who runs the academy for dog trainers uh, the culture clash would be an ideal book for people to start if they wanted to get a handle in well written terms on where the canine behavior is at at the moment uh, 
any of those leading lights in the dog industry or in the training industry or the behaviour industry would never say that we should restrict an entire breed. They would always say we come from compassion. The dog is looking, begging you to tell it what the rules are. Please do. So maybe if people who are making laws and rules look to what those people are saying, we could arrive at and come up with regulations and rules that were actually workable and made sense. That's all, that's all people are looking for, something that's workable and makes sense and has a bit of compassion attached. People are looking for something that makes sense. Some of the questions in that documentation that I've read just don't make sense. Like I said earlier, muslin a Labrador, muslin a Cavalier King Charles, muslin every breed, I'm sorry, but no. Just simply, no, it does not work. Let's move on to topic number three. Now, there's been a lot of talk about this over the last 10 years or so. Limerick is a city of over 100,000 people. It does not have any proper public facilities for dogs. Okay, you have your parks. You can take your dog in there leashed. You can take your dog for a walk around. The minute the park one sees you with the dog off the lead, he literally comes over yelling at you. Now, fair enough, these guys have a job to do. But what are we meant to do? We, like... We need a publicly provided dog park in this city. It's something that has been talked about before. There have been a number of different committees. Every time they have faced non-stop opposition from Limerick City and County Councils. The County Council and City Council merged back in 2014. Even at that, still no headway on this. There was a great committee back then. Every time they went to meet with the council, they got the long finger. More like they got the middle finger. The council didn't want to know about it. The council are afraid of insurance. The council are afraid of who's going to pay for this. But yet, now I've spoken to so many people, and I'm going to be speaking with a lot more over the next few weeks about this, trying to actually get a plan together. But it doesn't matter what kind of plan you put in place. I can promise you that the city council will not give to go ahead for this because they never have and they just don't want to and okay correct me if i'm wrong if there is any city or county councillor out there that is listening to this podcast you can meet with me simply email the big bark at barkingmad.ie just send a quick note to say you want to meet with me you want to discuss this with me think it's a great idea great i'll meet with you not one of them will bother the ass to email me by the next podcast, which is in a week's time. So, we need a dog park in the mic. Now, I know there's a lot of regulation that needs to be put in place. There's a lot of policies that need to be put in place. But people are willing, these committees have been set up before, are willing to work with the dog one. We're willing to work with the county council. I am willing to work with the county and city council on this. There can be strategies put in place. It doesn't all need to be publicly funded. It can be a case of some of the funding can come from crowdfunding. It's a very popular thing nowadays. I am fairly sure there are dog owners in the region who would be more than happy to actually donate 15, 20 quid. Now, I can't speak for everyone, but I know if it was a case that crowdfunding was an option, I'd definitely be contributing to that. The council probably still won't be up for that. If it was the case of crowdfunding, the council, like, who knows? They might just take the money and use it for something else. We don't know. I talk with Tony on this because Tony has mixed views on this. Now, the reason Tony has mixed views is because of his experience with dog parks when he lived in Dublin. 
So I'm gonna get his um get his opinion on this and I'm gonna see what see what he thinks in general. So I'm gonna play that clip right now. Uh, my thoughts on a dog park are I would be very, very much in favour of as many dog parks as we possibly can. I do think they should be supervised because we'll say, we'll go back to the case of those two staffies. Somebody owned and was responsible for those two staffies. And without them being trained or instructed appropriately in how to behave in the world, they went and did whatever damage happened to that poor lady, which is terribly, terribly unfortunate. So because there are still owners there who may not be as willing as they need to be to engage with positive training, it wouldn't be fair to allow those those kind of people without being too restrictive access to the same facilities without making sure that they've taken the necessary steps to, co- to, to train and control their dog because that's their job it's the, it's the job of the owner so once all owners and the potential for any flashpoints and dangers get up to speed then it's probably going to be easier for the legislation to, to, to follow that if you know I, I think I think action needs to be taken from both sides a dog park is a fantastic idea it needs to be well controlled it needs to be well monitored the first dog park I went to in Dublin when I got my when I got my retriever Samoid when he was a pup we weren't there 10 minutes before somebody else arrived with uh, with a it was either it was probably I think it was a Malamute uh, or else a very large husky but they're quite similar anyway who had no boundaries no rules and within five minutes I had to pick up my pup and leave so uh, yeah. th- that was my first and only experience with that dog park okay. so because it wasn't supervised so there is a good bit of work to be done on all sides so the people attending the dog park they need to be clean they need to bring poo bags yeah. you know all of those yeah. things a lot of people still aren't doing things like that as well so I think you know the, the, the burden of responsibility isn't necessarily entirely on legislators and lawmakers it's on people who are going to use those facilities to make sure that they're going to use them correctly for the benefit of everybody including their dog so that's really really necessary uh, it, because it only takes one dog that's out of control to create mayhem in a place like that so definitely all for us I think somebody in some way qualified or trained in being able to spot canine behaviour what the flashpoints are should be in place to monitor those situations but yeah I mean it's ridiculous that there aren't that that isn't in place that in this day and age we're still talking about the need for that I think you know when you're mentioning countries like France and Japan and stuff like that places like the west coast of America all of that stuff is in is already in place it's 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 not even thought about anymore so we do we do have quite a bit of catching up to do here you know hopefully it'll happen quite soon hopefully it's right Tony hopefully it's right so I just sort of go back short uh, short bit there in that clip you may have heard Tony mention two uh, staffies now that was a slight bit inaccurate there was two staffy type breeds say um, that we were talking about it was in relation to an inquest into unfortunately they have a lady in Galway the inquest was held recently about a woman who was uh, attacked uh, so severe by two dogs they weren't actually staffies but they were two dogs which apparently looked like staffies 
Now the breeds are actually called Fossa Canario breed. They're a type of staff, I believe. I can't be 100% sure on that, but, but this lady was um, killed by these uh, two dogs at her son's home. And it's very unfortunate to see these two dogs, this breed was not actually on the restricted breeds list. So I think a lot of the questioning around the Control the Dogs Act and this public review in particular, a lot of this probably comes from incidents like this. In that aspect, I can understand in one way where and why they want to change these laws and why they want to look into these laws. But at the same time, these dogs weren't on that list. So it's proof that any dog can react any dog can react but again this all comes down to owner and like training behavior like it doesn't come down to the breed itself i do want to move on very quickly and i do want to touch on one final thing with tony and that's his plans for the future and i see bright things in the future for tony I see bright things for the back and baker and I really hope it does because it's such a brilliant, awesome brand. It's local, it's Limerick, it's Limerick Tipperary really because Tony is actually living out in Tipperary uh, near enough to Nina. I hope I'm right on that Tony. But I want to know what's next on and I asked him that. I want to like see where he plans on taking this and where he plans on going with the Barkin Baker and how awesome and brilliant he can actually make this. Okay, let's hear the final clip from Tony. Next, well, the next thing for us, and I'm working on a recipe at the moment, is the snuffle truffle. So again, along with the recipes, we do like a little play on words. Uh, so that's going to be a lamb-based treat. I'm not saying too much more about that. Everyone's going to have to come down and visit the Barkin Baker in the next couple of weeks to see what that looks like. Uh, so what's next? We've, uh, we've recently started branching out from the Limerick Milk Market and I'm going to stop for a second because I want to pay particular tribute to everybody in the Limerick Milk Market. It's a fantastic place. I would recommend that anybody come, grab a cup of coffee and just have a look around for five minutes. But in terms of the welcome, the ease of having set up my business here has been just fantastic. In terms of advice from other stallholders, the people that work here, it's been, it's been seamless and so easy and so much fun. Setting up here on a Saturday morning is like, it's almost like being in a Dickens novel. It's fantastic. The atmosphere, the energy of the place is brilliant. So what we're hoping to do at the moment is maybe look to maybe two or three other markets in different areas of the country so that we have more of a national reach. Uh, we've also been uh, done a couple of shows with the DSPCA over the last couple of months. We did Pets in the City in Smithfield. Uh, we did the DSPCA dog show at the, the DSPCA site in Rathfarnham uh, about a month and a half ago. So it's about attending those kind of events. We're finding that farmers markets, agricultural shows, family events, they're the kind of places that we're gonna go. And hopefully, maybe over the course of the next year, year and a half, we'd like to maybe move into supplying a bit of retail and stuff. But we really don't want to sprint at this. We want to, we want to take it at a, at, a, at a reasonable pace, learn everything that we need to learn so that we're always making sure that we're not cutting corners, we're not providing an inferior product at any stage. We're perfectly happy to make our bit of money, learn our bits and pieces and, and, and expand slowly. So yeah, a couple more farmers markets over the course of the next year and then maybe into a couple of local retail outlets initially. That's what we're 
Alright, and thanks very much once again to Tony and to Sarah for joining me today. That's all we have uh, for the show this week. We didn't have a poppy panel for you this week, but that I'm hoping will actually start in episode 3. It hasn't started just yet, but my plan is that by the time episode 3 comes around, I will have my poppy panel and... Who knows? We might have a bit of fun. We might introduce... Or not might. We are going to introduce some games. Again, they will come in episode 3. We have a very special episode to come next week. Next episode is going to be all about animal welfare. And the plan is that we take a trip out to Limerick Animal Welfare Sanctuary for the open day, uh, which is coming up in the next week. And we have a chat outside there with uh, Marion, with Geraldine and with Chris, three of the directors outside who do such amazing work. We'll be looking at a few other bits and bobs, uh, but overall we'll be mainly focusing on animal welfare. We will have a special guest, a special guest uh, business who is Kelly from Purple Wolves in Dublin. We will have Kelly on the next show. And we will also be speaking to Mairead from Our Vets out in Tipperary Town. All that and more to come on episode two of The Big Bark. And I'm going to go off now and take Minnie for a nice long walk along with Bruno. Bruno doesn't look too bothered about going for any walk right now. But Minnie is here slapping me and giving me digs and everything else along the way because Minnie wants to walk about now. Well, look, guys, it's been a pleasure. And for me, for Minnie, from Bruno, have a back and mad week and we'll see you next week. If you have bills and debt piling up, a personal loan through NetCredit can provide funding up to $10,000 to help you get back on track if eligible. Visit netcredit.com today. All NetCredit loans and lines of credit are offered by a member of the NetCredit family of companies or one of our lending partners. Visit netcredit.com partners for more information.